need to be there for literally everyone, regardless of like, you know, if you know that person well or not, they need you because you symbolize X, Y, and Z. But like, that puts a lot of pressure on people, I think, as well. Because it's like, you have your own life. You've got your own challenges and struggles. And if you're seen as like this source of comfort, then where do you go for comfort? Where do you go for support? Are you even allowed to go there for that support? Welcome to our podcast series, Resistance in Color. We explore resistance as the way that we fight the challenges, structures that negatively affect spheres of our mental, social, and physical health. We hear from a host of BIPOC voices of community members featuring activists, healers, organizers, students. We will engage in how we resist, find solidarity, and gain insight on how to cope within our own bodies. The series features stories of incredible resilience focused on the healing of both individuals and communities as an active form of resistance. This podcast series has been made possible by the Fund for Safe Communities grant of the Minneapolis Foundation, Tanami, Minnesota's Multicultural Youth Advisory Board. Welcome and thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's episode of Resistance in Colour. My name is Fere and our guest today is Tracy, who is a recent neuroscience graduate from McAllister College. Before going to McAllister College, she grew up in Houston, Texas with her family that comes from Kumasi, Ghana. And she loves to learn how people develop and change their identity or sense of self um, and studied neuroscience because of her interest in mental health, children and trauma. Thank you for joining us, Tracy. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about children, mental health, and anything related to those topics as well. Cool, cool. So, Tracy, our podcast, like I said, is called Resistance in Color. And I'm curious what you think, what you think when you hear that. What does resistance in color mean to you or sound to you? I think right off the bat, I go straight to identity and the ways that we kind mm-hmm. of view ourselves and the ways that we present ourselves. I think color oftentimes is correlated to race or like your skin color and things mm-hmm. like that. But more than that, it's like the experiences you have within that identity. Mm-hmm. I think black is so diverse. You know, we try to think of like this one narrative and yet there's so many like sides to blackness. Yes. And it's complicated by like where we live, where we grew up, mm-hmm. you know, our parents, our families, our community. So there's not just one like individualistic view of blackness. And yes. so when I think of resistance, I think how can we kind of go against kind of those stereotypes or those narratives about us and be our own true selves. And that ties, of course, back to mental health. Mm -hmm. You know, how you view yourself, how you present yourself and how other people view you affects how you feel. It affects your emotions. It affects like, you know, just your thoughts. And so I always think of resistance as less of like constantly fighting something Mm. and more of finding ways to kind of just be yourself in a space or time that doesn't see you in that light. I think that's super hard. Thing I've learned in college, you know, it's super hard to ask someone to be themselves. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it sounds super simple, and yet it's like super, super hard to do. And then that 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 assumes that you know who you are, yeah, and that you're like static in some way. And right. so I always find asking people that is it's hard, but I think it's something we have to ask ourselves to do more hmm. often. So I think of resistance. I think of asking ourselves to be ourselves, hmm. even though it's super complicated. Oh, asking ourselves to be ourselves, and I guess even and and if and if then the answer to that is I don't know who myself is, and it's me taking the time to then discover what that means or discover who Piri is and what Tracy likes and the things about me. So, uh, that's a good answer. 
um, what has, I'm curious then, um, as to, you mentioned identities, you mentioned knowing yourself, you mentioned narratives against, I guess, the status quo or what other people would have defined you as or would have decided those things are. So resisting all that, tell us about what you feel like your journey of resistance has been like or has looked like. Um, and that could be at any phase of your life um, or whichever identities that you want, uh, you feel like have been most coming into to discover who you are. And especially going into this past 2020, I think the biggest identity... No, I'm answering your question for you, but nope, I want to hear from you. Um, and especially what it looked like in 2020. Oh, wow. That is a really good question. When I think about my own identity, I, like I said, I grew up in Houston, Texas, but my both, everyone in my family is from Ghana. So that's where like my roots are. Mm-hmm. And there are very strong ideas when it comes to like gender, mm-hmm. like what women are supposed to do versus men. And then those type of roles as well. And so I grew up seeing that narrative in a very Ghanaian fashion, but growing up in a, in a, in a state or really just a, in a, the U.S. where those roles are pronounced but not as much as they are in cultural Ghana. Right. And I, yeah, so I think growing up and I'm the only daughter in my family and I'm the youngest mm. child as well. So it, a lot of the duties of like cleaning and cooking and all that stuff kind of fell on me. Uh-huh. And it was always a struggle because I actually enjoy doing those things. I <laughs> love yes. I like love cleaning and I love like baking and like helping my parents. I always feel like I'm the youngest in the family. I can't contribute financially, but yes. at least I can, like, I can wash a car. I can do something. I can, like, vacuum, yeah. you know? Yeah. Something. But then as I grew up and I saw that that was what the traditional woman, like, was made to do, it kind of became difficult. Because I was like, do I like these things because I'm told uh, to like them? I see. Do I like them because there's a general, gener- like, a, gener- a genuine interest in it? Yes. Or do I like it because, like, a mix between me accepting gender roles and kind of locking myself into this is what a woman is? Yes. I think that was always hard because when I came to McAllister and even this past 20, 20 year and me living alone, I felt like, do I do these things because I feel like, you know, as a woman, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. But then it's like, I also have this idea of I'm in the STEM world. So I love neuroscience. I love research. And I've always felt that I'm a very independent, strong person. Mm. But then can I be that strong black woman, but also take on those more traditional roles within my family? Yeah, It's like, it's that like back and forth between like, do I like something because I'm supposed to like it? Or do I like it and, this, and it just happens to be part of a larger stereotype or gender role? Yeah. So that's like my kind of introduction to mental health of thinking about like what is good for me and mm. what space with what people and what stereotypes do I kind of fulfill or adhere to without really realizing it. Yes. And then if I find a stereotype that is something that I genuinely, genuinely like, should I change what I like to go against that stereotype? It's because like, you're like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the stereotype. Uh, I'm going to like something else. Mm. But I kind mm. of am, but it's not like, cause I feel like I, I need to be, but because that's just, I just like doing things, right. you know? So it's always been that difficult back and forth. I think that comes back to identity of just like being Ghanaian, but also being American, being yeah. a daughter in a, a, in a traditional sense, but also being like a modern day, I guess, you know, strong black woman. Mm. And what does that even mean within different <laughs> contexts? That can yeah. take on like several different means, which you're seeing a lot with like 
kind of movements yeah. of the Black Lives Matter, or even within um, higher education, going mm. into a master's degree, going into a bachelor's degree, mm. what does a strong Black woman like mean? And if you identify as that, what do people assume of you? Yes. That's always been the tricky area that I've been trying to navigate yes. since like birth to like 2020 and probably in the future too. Yes. I think that, that part, that part, as you were saying, I was like, mm, that part, that part. Just because <laughs> in, this, in, this, in this past year, the loudness of identity within race has been such a, a big message. I mean, we have been seeing racial incidences um, of hate across different races. Um, and so this year, being able to identify and to be in solidarity with and to just kind of support a lot of all the identities that were being blatantly hated on and all this injustice as we've been seeing i think one of the loudest things for me as well that has been on the, on the back one you can't see this but i'm, I'm kind of pointing my brain at the back one of my brain is my identity as a as a black as a black woman and, and like you're saying there's and i like this in your definition of resistance too you're resisting the narrative of what that means to be a black but that's also really really hard to do <laughs> it's also really 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 hard to do okay um okay um i'd like to kind of hear actually what your thoughts are on this idea i like how, how you started it and, and started to think about what a strong black woman um would be like because as i guess as you're transitioning to employment to transitioning into um into more school if, if that's the hope um thinking about what other those other narratives being placed on you and what how that kind of um directs or impacts the way that you're living your life or thinking about things I, I i want to maybe even give context for this uh the protests that were happening last year and what ways do you feel like that shifted or challenged your notions and ideas of yourself compared to what the narratives of black women were yeah i mean it's a great question i think when i think of strong black women a couple of people in my own life come to mind from mm. my time at McAllister, mm. and they all seem to be very like upfront and very direct about like what they wanted and what they needed from people and also communities right. but also really like moving about spaces on their own so they weren't mm. waiting for someone to like say oh come into this lab or come into this internship they were kind of just going for it because that's what they wanted to do yes and they seem, like I said, very outspoken in that sense, but also very aware of like the community and how mm. they can open up spaces and conversations for other people to also explore their identity or even explore like a different way of thinking about something, like a new perspective. Yes. And I think I think that has run true for a lot of spaces in my life. When I think about my aunts and my, like my grandma, they they also kind of follow that narrative as well. Yeah. But I think what was different for me when I came to college, especially looking forward to like going on to more schooling, yes. is that it's been increasingly tied with being independent in the sense of, you know, saying who you are and what you're about, but yeah. also having to give a lot of energy and time to community. Mm. And so like, it's a hard narrative. I think even with protesting, where like, you want to say what your message is, but also realizing you need to follow whatever message the community is out like yes. as well. So it's, just, it's like a contradiction. It's like, be independent, do what you want, but also you need to 
duties x y and z rules mm-hmm. of the community because mm-hmm. we need you as a strong black woman we need you as that symbol and i've seen strong black women want to you know do something else or just take a step back and a lot of times they've been told like you know you're being selfish with your time yeah you're like a mom to us you're like an aunt you need to be there for literally everyone regardless of like you know if you know that person well or not they need you because you symbolize x y and z but that puts a lot of pressure on people i think as well because it's like you have your own life you've got your own (laughs) challenges and struggles and if you're seen as like this source of comfort then where do you go for comfort where do you you go go for support are you even allowed to go there for that support so I think that's always been my struggle where like I'm an independent person. I love helping people. I love having close friends and supporting them. But I also don't want people to think that they are owed that from me. Like mm. I'm like that's supposed to be my role and that can only be my role. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I can't remember. Um, um it it answers the quest the question. It answers some question. I I don't remember what the question the direct question. Okay. That, that's a good question. That's a good answer. Um Wow. Where do you get your comfort from? That that I had an, another conversation this um, earlier this morning, and I'm even thinking about one last last week. Um, and one of the people was sharing that one of the things that were important to them as they were looking and reflecting, I guess, back on this year was self care. Is also knowing what things you can take away. And some mm-hmm. some of some of what you're saying was ringing to me about that just because when other people are saying you're my support system i look up to you that that mm-hmm. that does put a weight i guess on on whoever on whoever it is who's being expressed these words to and thinking about how then they navigate needing to be a support and not i don't know if you've seen this meme oh what is mm-hmm. it um about like I don't want to be the strong black woman anymore. I'm not strong. In fact, I'm very weak because everybody wants this strong black woman. You know, she's independent. She knows how. She's a motivator. She's a support system. Everybody's like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm tired. No, I just want to be me. Just in fact, I'm weak. I'm weak. <laughs> no, I agree with that. It's it exhausting. And yeah. Then, take a step back. Sometimes you feel bad and like because people always like, oh, self care and community care are the same thing, mm. and they're really. Not not they're not they're really not because there's some things that you do for yourself that benefit your mental health yes but also by you taking that step back maybe you're leaving a role that someone else's mental health was supported on Mm. so like not everything we do as individuals that helps us will also help the community Mm -hmm. not everything we do to help the community also helps us they're like they're entwined but also separate in some ways but I, i get what you mean and like you know you want to take care of yourself and people are telling you to but then they're also demanding like you take care of me yeah yeah take care of me too <laughs> as you're painting your nails it's like and i think that's the whole point why it's it's a community business why it should take a village so that when i am exhausted there's someone else who can come and be in this space you know it's not supposed to be leaning on the shoulders of of one person i guess mm-hmm. that's why we've seen organizing has been a community process it's been a, a process involving lots of people who are working together to kind of weave the foundation so if one person is you know the others can take off and, and then if one person is um overwhelmed then the others can support exactly hmm. yeah so your field of study was neuroscience mm-hmm. um and was your interest in mental health before neuroscience or like as a result of neuroscience i 
think it was before neuroscience, definitely. There's an interest there. Hmm. Okay, so could you tell us about the before learning about neuroscience and being like, oh, mental health, oh, emotions, oh, trauma. And then learning about it in this concrete way. What things were changing? What new things? What perspectives were clicking? What ways were you just like, oh, wow, trauma? You know, what things kind of shifted and changed and became more meaningful or became less meaningful? Yeah. So when I was younger, I went through something really traumatic and my response to it was kind of like a boil of like anger against people, against situations. Mm. And I felt horrible almost every day because I could see people in my life, like my parents, my brother, making the effort to kind of help me feel happier, like kind of have these joyful experiences. Yes. But their idea was if we can, if we can help her have fun time she'll forget about that trauma oh. and then that will kind of like because that's a Ghanaian way of sometimes thinking of like just don't remember it and it mm. can't affect you. that's how I grew up thinking so I kept thinking well the reason I'm not feeling joy in what I'm doing and I was like winning science competitions which I was really proud of mm-hmm. I was like learning new skills I was doing really well in school but I kept thinking all these great things are happening to me and I feel joy for maybe an hour at the max and, and then, then it's like right back and didn't even go back to being neutral it went back to me just being like angry mm. so i kept thinking well if it's up to me to just forget something then maybe i'm forcing myself to remember something uh. am i playing the victim because I, I need some type of attention or anything and it didn't feel like that for a long time but it also didn't feel like i had a lot of control over my emotions right i feel like i was angry when i didn't want to be angry mm. i felt like i was annoyed or sad when like good things were happening and everyone was making an effort and I felt bad to them because they felt bad. Yeah. You know, to not see your child be happy is like, you know, really painful for a parent, a kid, a a brother, a sibling, anyone in the family. And so, but then I started taking psychology classes. So I I came to Mac and I got super interested in psychology. I took a class on morality and kind of the decisions that we make. That was my first year course. And Mm -hmm. I love the topic because it wasn't just a blind, like, either you forget or you don't forget. Mm. It felt like it took a lot of situations and also in my way of thinking about trauma into not only, like, yes or no, but into, like, that gray area in between of why do I remember certain aspects of my trauma? Why Mm. do I not remember certain aspects? How does that affect the way that I view the world, how I interact with people? Mm. Do I go into situations feeling like this person is just, like, the person who caused my trauma, or do I feel like there's something different. And Mm. I think when I learned about neuroscience is when I felt just a sense of control because my brother had always said, you know, try exercising. He started weightlifting and like doing Pilates and he was like super happy as well. And I was like, that's just what you like to do. And then as I learned neuroscience, there's a lot tied between being able to set goals when it comes to fitness and exercise and seeing you reach, seeing yourself reach those goals. Yes. And being able to, like, kind of relearn how to feel joy. Mm. And I didn't realize that connection because no one, no one knew it. Everyone just knew exercise is good for your health. But, like, how? Yes. And I think neuroscience explained that how to me. And when mm. I got that sense of control, I just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. I think I stopped blaming myself for, like, a lot of my emotions and learned how to realize, like, yeah, sometimes I feel a rush of anger. But, like, I can, like, rationalize that. Mm. I can, like, calm myself down because I know why it's happening. Yes. If I feel a sense of fear in like a different scenario, I can mm. know like, is this fear, should, should I be this fearful in a scenario or can I rationalize it to kind of just calm down, right. you know? And I think the biggest thing I learned from neuroscience is that the brain is very like protective. 
if it faces some type of trauma or stress, it doesn't want to face it like again, again. and again. Yes. So it finds little cues that could show oh. for like, oh, this could be dangerous. Yes. This could harm you in some way, or this person could do X, Y, and Z. And it pulls from your past experiences. So like that feel- feeling of anxiety or anger that I had was because I was in the same space of where my trauma happened. And so mm. I had to learn to rewrite, to tell myself like that trauma isn't still happening. It's, it's like ended. Yes. Then I have to teach myself how to rewrite what those spaces meant for me. So home was always a space that was kind of weird because I like love my family, but I didn't like the physical space we were in, but we weren't able to move because we couldn't afford it. Yes. And so relearning what home meant for me mm. and what family meant for me and learning to kind of just forgive too. That was all through neuroscience. Wow. So uh, throughout my four years of like being at Mac, people were always like, oh, you're so good at neuroscience. I'm like, I don't think I'm good at it. I think I just have a very personal mission that I need yes. to get through. Yes. And all of that is around teaching myself to see joy, feel mm-hmm. joy, and experience it. Because there's a difference between the three. Yes. You know, some kids say that's a happy event, but can they can they feel that joy themselves? Mm-hmm. Can they experience it? Mm-hmm. Like neurochemical-wise, you know, just that rush of, like, joy. Can they mm-hmm. feel that? And I think we don't ask ourselves enough, like, yeah, I'm happy, but, like, am I experiencing joy? Or mm-hmm. is this, like, my neutral state of being? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've learned a lot about that, just relearning how to feel joy. And I think neuroscience opened that door for me. Psychology also opened it, but I feel like neuroscience really kind of threw the door off so I could get an easier. You're like, hey, here it is. Here are the keys. Get inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you so much for sharing, Tracy. A few things come to mind and maybe uh, you might want to touch on one of them or all of them. I don't know. Thing one, how would someone go through this process without learning neuroscience? How, what, other ways or other channels are, are there for people to be able to realize, um, oh wow, this is happening. And and for you, this course of study allowed you to like learn about yourself and understand what's happening with within your brain, because I guess you're learning about your brain, but also your emotions and your experiences and your trauma and, and, and working through even your, your own wellness. How do you feel others can have this journey without the neuroscience aspect? What other ways do you feel like could fill that gap or help them through that process? That's something I've thought about a lot because people always ask me, like, what are you studying? You know, how are you doing it? But then, like, neuroscience research papers are, even for me, who've been studying neuroscience for a long time, it's so hard to understand. Mm. There's so much jargon and data. And then sometimes it can make you feel like you're even, you have even less control because now you don't even understand what's going on within your supposed human body. Yeah. So I think what I did when I was younger is I kept this, like, journal. And I would write down every time I felt upset. I'd write, like, the day, the time. And I would sit down and be like, what's actually making me upset? Not yes. what am I, like, looking at, but, like, what what is the, like, thought process that's making me upset, upset at something? Yes. And I think, and I think just doing that, because I was trying to find a pattern. Because I was like, I can't just be angry all the time mm. without a Because being angry is a lot of energy. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> you know, twenty four. I would like sleep angry. I was like, no, I can't. This cannot be my life. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing down like what was making me angry. And mm-hmm. I think that's when I got to the core of it of the fact that all those events of me feeling angry and upset, just being confrontational, felt like times when I was being told to be happy when I didn't feel happy. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so it's got to do with happiness. It's got to do with the fact that people are 
we're in an environment where everyone's smiling and laughing and nothing bad's going on and then I'm upset. Mm. And that's when I felt like the most like out of control. So I try to teach myself, you know, in those spaces, where can I find those pockets of joy? Right. You know, where can I learn to not just look at the negative things that are happening, but also dig into like what's truly making me happy. And that's when I started picking up hobbies like painting and poetry and finding like creative ways to express myself. Hmm. That's why when I work with kids as a tutor, I always say, you know, write your own stories. Hmm. If you're reading a book and you're like, I don't connect with any of these characters, their names are weird, their personalities are weird, you know, okay, let's write your own story. Give me a character's name. Give me what they're doing. Give me their challenge, their problem. Give me like a plot. Yeah. And that always opens up something because they usually write about themselves and things that they've been wanting to express but simply don't know how. Mm. So I would say if you don't know neuroscience and if you don't want to dig too into, too deeply into it, you just don't have access to it, yes. I would say write a journal. Mm. Write down your experiences. Write down when you feel happy, when you feel upset, and then get into the nitty-gritty of the why. And don't be afraid to write like, I feel selfish or I feel like I'm being greedy. Yeah, That's how you get to know yourself. Because yeah. those are all things we feel. We're humans. You know, who doesn't feel selfish sometimes? Yeah. Who doesn't feel like they want more even though they've already got something in their hand? Yes. You know? Yes, yes. It's, it's human, so it's okay to, like, have those feelings. But definitely, we've got to learn how to, like, manage them. It shouldn't mm. overpower everyone else's feelings as well. So yeah. I think if you write it down, look for patterns. Poetry, to me, was a big thing. I know not everyone's big on writing, but, like, art can also be a way to do that. Painting, mm. drawing, you know? But Music. I feel like that's neuroscience mm. right there. That If you're writing down, you're trying to find a pattern. That's what we do in experiments for neuroscience. Mm. Trying to figure out patterns and seeing how that connects to behavior. So if you do that, you're doing neuroscience right there in your bedroom or come wherever on, you are. Come on, neuroscientist listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on it. Maybe I should add that to my resume now. I'm a neuroscientist. I journal often. <laughs> I do experiments. They're not published, but I do them. I do them. <laughs> and they work. They work. <laughs> Another thing that you mentioned um, as well, um, which I think... Could, gets into a bigger conversation about the role of our environment in the experience that we have and even in the experiences of our understanding in the process of understanding the experience that we have so for example um the role of of culture in many ways and something that you said stuck out to me um just don't remember it and and you won't forget it and i think lots of people like, like to do that with trauma with with different things that have happened um, to people's life that could be traumatic events, as traumatic as being involved in a car accident. Yes, you didn't get hurt, but you were involved in a, and that was triggering or being stopped by police or being accused of something. Um, all these things that could be and are traumatic. I think there's a, there's a way that society subconsciously minimizes those experiences. And sometimes consciously too, because we don't want to deal with it. And I work with a lot of cultural communities um, in my work, and that's very common. And a lot of people who who have shared with us, who happen to be from cultural communities, who have experiences um, with mental living with mental illnesses, have shared about the role of culture in trying to minimize that experience and trying to minimize the process of of, of naming. And this could be associated with me, it could be stigma, could be, oh, if everybody knows that you have problems, now they'll think our whole family has problems. Um, mm-hmm. That could be as a whole set of different things. But 
realizing the, the different ways, the subtle ways that even even in conversations, not even I guess in culture, even as a friend, if I tell you something and you're like, well, that happened to me too, you're, you're going to be fine. The different ways that society kind of reduces and, and minimizes experiences of things. Could you speak to... Now I've said so many things, but I, um, I'm interested to hear your insight on that. I guess in the role of our environment and society and culture in mitigating or instigating um, our experiences with mental health and our wellness. Yeah, I would say even in the questions that we ask someone after something traumatic has happened, mm-hmm. people ask like, you know, what happened exactly? When did it happen? You know, how long did it happen for? Then they ask, is that all? <laughs> you know? Just is that all that happened? Because it's like, like you said, some of you're in a car accident, but you're not injured or hurt anyway. Yes. But someone's still slammed into your car. There's still that rush of fear. Yes. People are looking for like, are you hurt? You know, physically. Did you break something? No. Did you break something? Is there a fracture? No. Mm. Then is that all? Mm. And I think that question mm. alone really gets to the fact that there needs to be more for us to really view that as traumatic mm. or as something that's very like chronic stress wise. Mm. And I always tell people like when people are telling their experiences of trauma, they feel comfortable telling you that alone is like a big step. A big that can be really hard. Yes. Yeah. So the fact that your questions are like, Oh, is that all that happened? Oh, the same thing happened to me, but it's not the same person that it happened to. It's mm-hmm. not in the same context and you're not deriving the same meaning from it as someone else. Yes. Like, I always tell people, when you ask questions, just be as open-minded as possible. Like, you know, how does that make you feel now? Mm. Does that affect how you interact with people now? How can I be a support? Mm. Instead of telling people what you can do. Like, Mm. oh, it's not that traumatic. I would say just, you know, forget about it. Mm. It's like, that invalidates the experience. It invalidates the emotions they feel now. It invalidates the way that they have now changed the way they view their environment. Like I said, physical spaces hold a lot of meaning to us. You know, you come home and you might feel like, ah. After a hard day's work, you're like, I'm home, I'm relaxed. And, like, what makes that place home? Yes. It's like a building. It's walls, it's ceilings, it's a floor. It's the same as your office building. Mm. And yet, it's the knowledge that, like, you know, I don't have to bring work in here with me. Yes. Are, are the memories you have of maybe just watching TV and relaxing that instantly makes you just relax a little bit, yeah. you know? Well, the people and inside it. Exactly. Mm. Like, your family members, your friends, all that makes you relaxed mm-hmm. and yet the physical space is probably similar to where your office is or wherever you work wherever your stress or trauma might be mm-hmm. and yet if you can rewrite what those spaces mean to you i know that's super hard to mm-hmm. you know if something has happened to a child in like their room or like their house that space means something different to them yeah you know it was a space that maybe they felt safe and like they felt like they could express themselves now it feels like somewhere where everyone's kind of trying to push their trauma into like, you know, under the carpet, like you said, with stigma. Yeah. Sometimes people feel like if you go to a therapist and people find out that you have depression or anxiety, that looks bad on our family. Like we're not good parents or mm. our family has some issues. Mm. I've seen that culturally across different backgrounds and yeah. cultural backgrounds. But then there's also the idea of like you sweeping up the carpet might help you as a parent or as like someone who's outside of that trauma. Mm-hmm. But what does that do for that child? who's experiencing all these things and is now being told that like that didn't happen or like it's not that important yes so sometimes we put our own comfort in front of the person who has faced that trauma yeah and like i get it sometimes it's hard to talk about trauma sometimes you're not ready it's like 8 a.m you just woke up and someone's like this happened and you're like whoa wasn't ready for this yes but also that person wasn't ready for that trauma. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't schedule in trauma like, you know, 9 a.m. on a Monday, <laughs> put on my calendar. Up to lunch, yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
So as abrupt as they're expressing, this is what happened to me, think about how they felt in that same experience, you know, because they didn't know what was going to happen. So I say just be just just be kind to people. I think mm-hmm. that's a very simple thing. But if you can be kind and also watch the questions you ask, if you ask a question like, is that all? Going back and saying, I'm sorry, didn't mean it that way. Yes. Here's my next question. You yeah. can go back and apologize. It's yeah. not like once you say a question, that's all you can ever do. Because mm-hmm. that itself can show people like maybe they're thinking about it in the same way. You know, if that's all that happened to me, why do I feel this way? Yeah. But if you go back and say, I'm sorry I asked that question, here's what I meant. Yeah. That tells them that they themselves can also remake that question themselves mm-hmm. into something that isn't just like that's all. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's my ideas on it. Just rewriting spaces, but that's a long, arduous process. But I think it can be done. It can be done. It can be done. Mm-hmm. And I think because uh, as, as more and more, this year for sure has given, or this past year for sure has given more voice to people um, or has allowed, let's just say actually, has allowed people more voice um, about their wellness, about mental health. Um because suddenly now everybody's realizing it you know i think when a few people are doing it and they're shouting and they're saying and and i think this came out of um, an episode two that we had with someone who said you know some of these things already existed within marginalized groups i mean there's lots of trauma within immigrant communities people who Mm -hmm. came in as refugees or who uh, hold identities that get persecuted in other places where they came from and now are asylum seekers but we don't that trauma it feels like oh it's just for them but when everybody's experiencing some kind of trauma now it's like okay now guys there's trauma you know having Mm -hmm. that um and it's also been um i like i like to say this too even with even with even with covid if we if we think about it in that way when the virus was first seen and there were cases in wuhan everybody was like oh but that's china it's there it's Mm -hmm. so far it's them and then when it comes close to home, it's like, oh, this, it's a big deal. This disease is a big deal. How things are, when it's other people, when it's them, people who are different than us, people who look different, sound different, um, it's their problem. But when it begins to get to uh, mm-hmm. the white neighbor on the other side, then she's like, oh, this is a big deal. It's a big deal, this thing, this COVID. Ha, huh? it's a virus. Exactly. It's like when it comes to crisis and like trauma, there's like this checklist of like what what, what every all the requirements something has to meet in order to be like traumatic or like a pandemic or a crisis, which yes. is fine, you know. But then when you don't meet those check boxes, then it's like, is that all, you know? Because mm-hmm. and that shows you you didn't meet the requirement. Mm-hmm. And yet when it starts affecting more people, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I guess that's traumatic. Okay. I guess this is important to me you know Mm. when it's like if it affects one person that's still a person Mm. whether it's you or not yeah it's still a person you still have to you can't go around defining telling people what trauma is and whether or not they meet those requirements it's not as simple as that and 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 like you're saying it's this checklist but it's also who meets the checklist if Mm -hmm. if as a um and and i think we've seen this too with many things if if if, uh, if a black person say, meets the checklist, it's like, yeah, I'm a black person. And then if a white person meets the checklist, like, oh, oh, okay, this, ah, mm-hmm. now, now it's different. Um, kind of also the dynamics and the politics of the race game in that too. Wow. Okay, okay. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, um, and I say this also because I know that you're interested in health and um, 
different facets that you can talk about. Um, one of the things that you mentioned you're interested in is how healing and identity connect and intersect because those are important things because even the way that you've just kind of began with your explanation of what resistance is. Let's start with how do you define healing? And a lot of this is usually confined to, I think, a clinical setting and, you know, lots of people think, oh, medication, here is a healing, here is a process. How do you define healing that feels that could feel more holistic to you? Or what's your holistic definition, actually? Ooh, that's a hard one. I still haven't found a definition of myself <laughs> or healing. Mm. I think, I think, I don't like the idea of someone being, like, healed. Like, it's like a static form of, like, oh, like now you're end. completely okay. Uh, you don't have to talk about that trauma. Check, it's off the list. Yes. So I say healing because it's, like, an ongoing process. Yes. I think about people who are able to mentally think through their own trauma mm. and maybe not have that same level of like emotion, like evoked, like whether it be anger or sadness or mm. anything like that. They can think through it and like critically without feeling all that rush of emotion that can sometimes overwhelm us. Mm. I think also just the idea of realizing like what your cues are. Like I can still be in spaces and certain cues will make me anxious. But instead of just saying like, oh man, I just feel super anxious. I kind of reason with myself like, why am I feeling anxious? Yes. What am I noticing that's like reminding me of my trauma of that? And then I can kind of sometimes rationalize it out. So mm-hmm. I think that being able to do that process on your own, I feel like is within that healing process. Yes. Yeah, I definitely think that like healing is kind of linked to like clinical things. Like you have to see a therapist. You have to like, you know, be on this set of like maybe neuropharmacotics or something like that. Mm. But I think healing can happen like within a community. It can happen within yourself. It doesn't have to be like in this formal like, you know, program. Mm. Something that you can start yourself definitely helps to have support. If you need a therapist, I say reach out to one. If you need someone to talk to, it doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a family, a friend, someone you can find in. And so I definitely think healing is more complicated than just like going to like a clinical site like weekly it takes some takes some effort on your part and that effort is hard sometimes yeah. you know we're doing all this while going to school while having to maybe work a job having a family to take yeah. care of or anything like that a lot of responsibilities but i think healing should definitely be a priority for anyone i think it it brings you it brought me like a more joyful life yeah. i think and so i'm happy i went through that process definitely took a long time to like <laughs> maybe eight or nine years but like i'm in a place where like i'm like truly happy and not just happy because i need to put appearance on for public but this is just who i am so i definitely think yeah complicated i don't have a set definition i wish i did i should probably make one no it's okay sooner or later or find one that's okay you'll make it along the way um exactly thank you for sharing that because i think even especially with uh in regard to mental health Mm. first of all mental health is a physical illness like any other illness but one of the things that um one of the things that we talk about too in our classes often is that it's a it's a process recovery is a process it's not you're depressed and then you get this magic pill and then after you take it finished Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that we found and some of the questions that we also have are when when does it end like what what can so after I after I get a diagnosis is is it is it over does it end there or after I do the treatment is, is it is it finished and like you're saying for yourself was a nine year process of getting to healing and I believe healing that you're still going through as well in different ways um, and so there's no end there's no end date and and it's funny sometimes 
um, that we could even have stigma around the process, the fact that healing takes a process. Um, because if somebody is depressed, it has to be on antidepressants to feel well. We don't ask somebody who is on a diabetic who's on insulin to be like, hey, she, you're still taking insulin. You're not finished. <laughs> you know, because they need the insulin to live. So I need the antidepressants to heal my illness. Um, so being able to kind of see mental health in, in that lens of a physical process and that healing is a process physically also, but even in learning how to cope and deal with some of the triggers or some of the things that might be around. I agree, because a lot of people always ask, like, how can I take care of my, like, physical and mental and emotional health? You know, I'm so busy. Yeah. And I say, well, you can do both at the same time. Mm. You know, you can, you can, I've seen people exercise and also find space, like, meditate or reflect. Mm. I've seen people who, in their therapy sessions, will also kind of move around and, you know, take care of their physical health. Mm. So it's not just, like, separate, like, like you said, if someone's diabetic and they're taking insulin, they might take it for the rest of their life. And yes. people are okay with that, but antidepressants feel like, you should only be taking it for like a year, then you should be fine after that. Yeah. And yet that's not how the body works. That's not how that individual works. Yeah. But And we need to think of them more as the same, as physical and mental health are really similar to yeah. one another. Yeah. Think about it. It's all organ-based. It's all environment. You know, all those things affect your physical and mental, health, mental health at the same time. Yes. Snap, 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 The second part of this question was, um, in the process of establishing and accepting, which can be, sometimes it feels like they're obvious and duh, but can be processes, processes of accepting and establishing, okay, this is my identity, this is, this is, this is, this is me. That can be a lifelong process that sometimes is influenced by the environment around us and and that can cause a, a clash with our mental health. So talking to the realities of um, identities that we hold or that other people have assigned to us. No, actually, the process, because this is healing and how healing and identity connect, speak to um, how that, if those don't connect, there would be a mental clash where is like what happens that there's a clash yeah that's a good question i think it's always hard to say because everyone's identity is so different but the fact yeah. that like who you are right now and who you're maybe trying to be clash with one another but then in a community maybe they only know you by that like previous identity and when you start like trying to change who you are maybe for like long-lasting future perspectives of who you want to be mm -hmm. people start saying that you're being fake or like you're not being authentic to yourself. Yes. And it's like, well, if I'm trying to be someone different, but that's who I feel like I'm going to be in the future, is that not is that not me being authentic to myself? Mm. Or are we supposed to just be the same person we've been for the rest of our lives, yeah. even if we want to change? Is yeah. that not, isn't that less authentic in a sense? Mm. And so it's, it's really tricky. I do think there are times when people are, find it difficult to separate who they are and who they're told they need to be. Mm. I think that can be difficult, especially when you've got a, a person that maybe you're more introverted, you're a little quieter, you don't like to lead things, but you like to be a part of like projects and movements. And people need you in a sense to be like a leader, mm. you know, someone who's pushing through and creating new change for like the community. Like, what do you do? 
Because you definitely want to be true to yourself, but you also see a space that you could fill and do good work in as well. Yeah. But then it's exhausting. You're going back and forth between, <laughs> like, who you are and who you need to be. Yes. And most of the time, there's more leaning towards who you need to be because that's when you're out in public. So mm. then, with, with your, then, then people find it hard to know, like, am I your true friend in a sense? Because mm. they see who you are and see who you need to be and don't quite know which one is more true to yourself and then it's like well i don't want to define for you who your true self is because i have no idea and if you are still figuring that out then you may not know as well yes so that's like in that gap in between what happens you know do you keep doing both do you choose one and which one do you choose Mm. so i think it can be tricky but i think even within ourselves there are identities that clash like i said I'm a very strong, independent person, but I also value, like, the traditional senses of woman as well. Mm. Like I said, I grew up cooking and cleaning and baking, and I, I still do it to this day because I just love to do those things. Yes. But it doesn't mean that, like, I just want to only do that. I just want to limit myself to that as my image of, like, women yes, that are being a yes. woman. So there's, like, that clashing of, like, independence, but also being dependent on, like, a family and trying to offer something as well in those traditional senses. Mm. So I think... Conflict is good. I actually like conflict a lot. I think it's I think it's part of being human. I think it's really interesting to meet people who are like quiet in some spaces and super outspoken and goofy in others. I like yes. love this contrast. Yes. I think it becomes tricky when you see someone's mental health suffering because of it. Mm. You see someone who wants to be someone else so so much but isn't being allowed to. I think that I've seen that a lot, especially in college. I think people want to step up into that elder leadership role. Yeah. Even though they may be super like knowledgeable, maybe super great at organizing things, but maybe that's not what, what they want to do for four years mm-hmm. of their life, you know? And then maybe they don't want to do it every single day as well. Cause that comes with responsibilities and challenges of its own. But yeah. I think it's tricky. I think, but I think it does affect people's mental health. Imagine if someone told you, you know, you can't be yourself. You have to be somebody else, <gasps> you know? It's yeah, it's it's hard because I'm somewhere like I always say my greatest strength and also a little bit of a fault of mine is that I only know how to be myself. <laughs> so code switching, flipping personalities, I don't know how to do all that, and I have no interest in doing it. But that means like this is this is this is one Tracy. This is what yeah. you get. This is all so you, if you don't like. like <laughs> <laughs> if you do that, you can be friends. But like I've seen people who can just like switch up. Mm. so quickly you know maybe that helps them get to those higher positions and people really like them Mm. and like that's fine that's true to who they are as well i just i just don't know how to do that it's like a lot of work so i don't want to do it but like that's identity it's mishy mashy it's kind of complicated it's really complicated it's really complicated and so but i just hope people feel like there are spaces where they can be themselves Mm. and not like who they are told they need to be and also who's telling you who you need to be who is that's this another question who is this yeah person? who is this person who has who's writing this checklist of things you need to be mm-hmm. you know how long has it existed are you with people always feel like they're atoning for like other people's problems yeah because maybe they're in this identity they're a black man or a black woman and maybe in the past something went wrong with black women and black men and now they've got to atone for those mistakes oh wow it's, it's, i've always been like yeah, I'm not paying for someone else's <laughs> mistake who I never it's not me. have no connection to. Yeah, it's, it's not me. <laughs> but some people feel like they have to. Uh-huh. And it's exhausting. It and is. I, I can't do it. But I also know people who have willingly done that. And some have regretted it. Some people have felt like I that's what I need to be for that purpose. And mm-hmm. I feel honored to have had that opportunity. So mm-hmm. those both ways. Wow. And some of those yeah. things 
it need to happen some somebody does need to change the perspective if there's been a bad perspective somebody does need, but it's not going to be one person and it's also going to be a continual not one thing that will happen they like oh now i've changed my mind this is this is actually mm-hmm. it it'll be a process of fixing of repairing of taking out that yucky definition and bringing this new way of thinking about it oh i really like what you said about being allowed to be who you are and people having places to do that um and for and and for some people code switching is the way that they do that you know when they're around certain type of people they feel like they can be this version of themselves and then when they're around other people they don't want to be the whole thing they want mm-hmm. to give you this and that's and that's and that's fine being able to have those spaces and pockets that allow you to be to be your, to be even the person who you really don't know and i'm i'm not sure who the whole tracy is but this is what we have this is what we are working with now as it comes along thanks thanks for being here and holding the space for me and i think maybe that also speaks to and you could maybe share a little bit about the role of community in the process um and so this um this podcast has been made possible by a group of young adults who are um, NAMI's um, Mental Health Multicultural Young Adult Board. And one of the things that they wanted to do in the vision of this board is to create conversations and awareness in cultural communities um, about mental health and so in the communities themselves and for mental health providers as well to be able to address challenges in cultural communities in a very specific way not in an ethnocentric way not in a this is the way way in an open trying to understand each individual each community with what they're coming with or coming to and so sometimes um one of the things that um also helps in this process and i think you talked about this a little bit so maybe we might not dwell too much on it but on the experiences of community being um what are the things actually yeah what are the things you feel like community needs to do to support people in that process of being themselves or, or learning how to be because that was one of the big ways that you did de- de- um defined resistance that process of opposing narratives that process of this discovering yourself and the things that you don't like what do you feel like is the role of community in that or what can community do in that space to kind of encourage that as well yeah i think community can do a lot cuz i think community is really where you kind of oftentimes find pieces of yourself mm. in like your family and like your neighbors and like the larger idea of community mm. and i think community sometimes can be very kind of resistant to change mm. if someone sees you from when you were 2 years old all the way to you're like 20 it can be hard for them to be like oh you're an adult now or like <laughs> you know your personality has changed from when you were like 5 years old yes and it's like I think that's okay to say like oh you've changed a lot but the fact that sometimes change is seen in the negative light mm. like oh I knew you when you were younger you would I didn't think you would end up like this or like mm. conversations around that can sometimes discourage you from really kind of just trying to see who you are now yes. you know if people change a lot kids change every day every year you know young adults go through a lot of experiences at school at home and like everything in between yes. where they kind of learn about themselves learn what they like and don't like what yes. they respect and what they don't mm. and so all that adds up 
into your own identity. Mm. I think community can play the role of not kind of um, picking out people, I think, or picking out things that you need to be and then saying what you don't need to be. I always say sometimes there are spaces where like you're in community with people who look like you. Yes. And yet there's no conversation about how your experiences are different. Mm. Like you walk into like a black community and maybe you're um, from the Caribbean islands. Maybe you're like me, you're from West Africa. Maybe you were born here, but your parents are from a different country. Yes. And so all of our stories and experiences are different. And yet sometimes there can be this big push for us to be the same. Yes. Like the community means we need to say the same thing in the same way. Because if we can't be united, then, how are we going to stand up and resist against the large society? Mm-hmm. And I see value in that, I do, but also the fact that, like, we aren't the same. Mm-hmm. Yes, we share an, identi- an identifying characteristic of being Black and identifying that way, but all of our stories are different. Mm-hmm. All of our experiences are different. Some of us have felt Black from day one to, you know, the day we die. Some yes. people are just now learning about their Blackness. So people are changing the way they define Black, coming from different communities. Yes. And there needs to be space for that. Yeah. If you walk into a space and you feel like you have to silence parts of your identity, mm-hmm. kind of tuck some away, mm-hmm. you're told to, yeah, you can say whatever you want, however you want, be yourself, but also but, do it this way, mm-hmm. then that's not a healthy community. Yes. And especially if that's coming from people who are like leaders or elders within that space. I know for me, at least, age plays a large role mm-hmm. in dynamics and like how you speak to people who has authority or really who has like the largest say in community. Yeah. So that can be tricky as well. So I always, always push communities to really say like, if you're okay with us being different, then can we have a space to share what that difference is? Mm. Not to create conflict or to say like, my blackness is higher than yours or whatever. We're just to say like, this is where I come from. This is what blackness means to me. And like also realizing that people change. You walk on the campus and in four years, you can be a completely different person. Nothing wrong with that. Is That's that just, right? it's like life. Yeah. But some people feel so agitated in the sense that like you need to be the same person you were when you walked onto campus or walked into any space. So to me, community just needs to be aware that conflict happens. Mm. We're not all going to like each other, and that's okay, but at least we should know who each of us is. Yeah. There should be space for you to tell your own story unfiltered, not like, oh, yeah, this is what this is, but I'm just going to follow what you guys are going to say. Yeah. That's going happen. And people should be able to really just be themselves. Mm. And once again, that's a hard question. That's a hard thing to ask of people, but... If you can't be yourself in a community of people who look like you, mm. who are saying that you were all the same, then like, where can you be yourself in? Mm. And also being aware that change happens, you know, people change and there's nothing wrong with that in any sense. But like, we should also be welcoming and accepting of that mm. as well in the community. Oh. <laughs> wow. <So>, wisdom. Multi <laughs> bits. <laughs> My two cents. Um, um, I'm 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 recalling something someone else said that goes really well with what you're saying as well. Um, on one of our previous episodes with Maria, go check out that episode if you haven't. Um, talks about finding finding your voice, and and she was talking about her journey finding her voice in the role of activism. And today we've been able to hear from Chasey different ways um, of even finding our voice also includes the hard work of finding ourselves, whatever that means. And that can mean a whole different host of things for different people, but each of us making a process to kind of understand for ourselves what that means um, and that resi- and, re- and resistance is actively 
trying to find that voice, trying to find your voice, trying to find yourself, trying to find amidst all the chaos and all the things that are around us. Tracy, I want to thank you for being on, coming on here and sharing your insights and sharing your wisdom that you're calling tidbits, but really your wisdom and your experiences as well. Um, for hard things and for hard questions that you've answered and for different directions that you've um, allowed us to, to really think about how we're defining resistance and how we're defining ourselves. Thank you for lending your voice. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. This was absolutely amazing. I love talking about mental health. I think it's something that should happen more casually, just like in spaces. And it shouldn't even have yes. a label to yes. just be able to talk about health. And someone says like, yeah, I'm dealing with this emotionally. And someone's like, yeah, and I broke my leg. And that conversation should exist uh -huh. in the same space. Correct. No Correct. Uh, thank you for being here, Tracy. And join us on our next episode. Bye-bye. Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. All music loops used in this episode came from the song titled The Way, produced by Mike Lighty and made available through a Creative Commons license. Mike Lighty's music can be heard online at soundcloud.com forward slash Mike Lighty. Lighty is spelled L-E-I-T-E. For information about the Creative Commons license and additional links to Mike's music, including the full version of the song The Way, Please see the podcast show notes for this episode.